You're listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I just sighed, a very loud sigh. Oh, oh boy. I know. And I didn't even get into a car accident last night, and I sighed. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. It hurts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first things first. Let's get a, a health update. And I mean, in all seriousness, I was like kind of upset when I saw you got into a car accident, but the idea that I'm not the only hobbled one on the show... Yeah, did feel like a bit of a leveling. I know. I can't believe all that mocking has come back to haunt me quite yeah. aggressively. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm feeling my back is feeling good. How about yours? Um, it's just sore. I just sore. <laughs> well, you did the good Samaritan thing as you should have. Man, I know. I know. Look, look what that got gotcha. you. Yeah. So if I learned anything from Seinfeld, it's to just do something between <laughs> nothing and something. Right. Well, I think that the, the only appropriate thing to learn from Seinfeld is to laugh. You know, like there, there, are, there are very few life lessons. Yeah. I yeah. think. Well, you know, I'm sorry that you uh, got banged up and your car got a bit banged up. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So long story short, I saw a woman get into a car accident. I, uh, I, uh, a single car accident and I pulled over to, to help her out because she looked pretty bad off. And uh, moments before I stepped out of my own car, uh, I got rear-ended. Um, by another human that was driving too quickly. So, well, I'm I'm sure that he uh, assured you it was not his fault. Uh, he he said he didn't see me, which uh, seemed pretty <laughs> impossible because uh, he went around a car that was smoking, uh, yeah. pretty fast. So, it's well, okay. it's, it's hard to see clearly when you're reading Twitter. It's, it, it clouds that's a, your view. That's the first thing I was thinking about. I was like, how did he not hit the other car then? Like, that was what I was thinking. But anyway, so yeah, I, I, I got rear-ended. Uh, my car is okay. I uh, I mean, it has a little bit of ding-ding, but it's pretty okay. Um, I totaled this gentleman's car uh, in the process. Uh, and then I went to check on the... <laughs> in the, the process of karma, his car got totaled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this is an actually another twist, which I which I did not tell you about yet, is that it actually wasn't his car. Um, he wore, is a mechanic, and he was bringing the car for a test drive. After he had done some repairs on the car. <laughs> and so well, it's some client's car, unfortunately. Bad news. <laughs> yeah. The good news is we fixed the problem by totaling your car. <laughs> right. Well. Just one of the many services we provide you. Well, it sounds like everyone could have been way worse off than they ended up in this yep. story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I was remarking to my wife that I, it was a small blessing that he hit me, honestly, because if I had gotten out of the car um it probably would have been a lot worse for me um never mind anyone else in the immediate area but there was only one person who stopped to check that everything was under control which was which was the reason why i stopped i was unconvinced that anyone was gonna give a crap as i watched three people drive by this woman as she's careening up a sidewalk and hitting walls and, and you know telephone okay. poles and nobody stopped nobody even slowed down they just were like mm, gotta keep going mm. <laughs> well if not so, you who kyle be the be the change you want to see in the world mm -hmm. sean yeah and all of this was because you were going to get your wife a uh, <laughs> my wife's birthday gift <laughs> and, and uh, let me review a few quick facts here um her birthday is what day today happy birthday and when was the accident yesterday Wait, what's okay. the problem with that? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I got a handcrafted gift because I heard Sean Devine in my head like, I'm pretty good at giving gifts. And so I thought, oh, I, I'd find a good, nice little gift that I could get her that somebody made uh, 
that does this sort of thing. Well, that's nice. So, Teresa's birthday is two days from now. Oh, oh yeah. I, I I imagine you have a whole vault of gifts all stashed up already, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and now it's untrue. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna wait till tomorrow night and then, in a hurry, uh, wreck my car. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, just don't stop if you see anyone else get yeah, hurt. Of course, I would. This right, is the well. third the third car the third time that I have stopped when someone else had been injured or hurt or something. I've done how many times have you called nine one one in your life? Thinking. Um two that I can recall. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I think this will be either. I assume that five. this does not count any uh, any incidents prior to the age of 17 that may have involved sleepovers and <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no this the times you've called 911 and wanted the police to respond <laughs> I see yes okay no, I think two yeah what's your number I think I'm I think this was five wow yeah so honestly you could look at this two ways right I'm a very kind soul who is just some I've been put on this earth to help others, or stay the hell away from me. I was gonna say I had never I am... seen it as the former. <laughs> I am I am a chaos monster, and I actually cause all these things so that I can respond to them. <laughs> well, speaking of chaos monster, so I was sighing uh, when you uh, when we yeah, started on the, the call recording. Here. Because I was, I'm trying to debug using a uh, a brand new handcrafted API that I have to work with. Artisanal. Not my own. Someone else's API. Oh boy. Yep. Really brutal. Yeah. Some of the best to say uh, debugging is API debugging. I would say. Yeah. Well, you know, my my basic strategy when you're when you use an API like this, something that is like no one else is using, right? Which so, like there there are no well worn paths. It's just like a open field, open landmine field, you know. Uh, is just to try to get anything working. Like, can I get any? Can I have anything happen according to the documentation? Even one thing. <laughs> And then as soon as I do, I'll like okay, like figure out okay, this means that this is like the thing they're testing. I should just say that like you know what is your test suite like what what request do you have that works in your t test suite, which is probably begging the answer that I don't want to hear, which is what test suite. But anyhow, hmm. and then just building off that. So I'm happy that we're recording, so I can stop doing that. Yeah, I, I I've worked with a, a plenty of absolutely miserable API endpoints in the past, and have relied pretty heavily on like live testing against the api which is usually not great like you know uh, building a test suite that basically only tests the api for its accuracy and completeness you know mm -hmm. instead of like what i want to actually be able to do with the api you know just so i'd have like a canary in the coal mine when something went belly up like inevitably right i i'd get the i'd get like a failing test but then your test suite has to run against a live api that is probably going down relatively frequently and blah 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 we'll do it live f it yeah, who cares right you've seen that video before right of course yeah Everyone's yeah it's favorite. actually the your third day of being a developer it just shows up in your email inbox nobody knows who sends it <laughs> it's the illuminati i think <laughs> That's true. I feel like it is a kind of a rite of passage. There, there are a lot of things like that that it's easy to forget that the rest of the world like doesn't have these. I don't know, you know, cultural norms. 
And that's one of them. That's like a guarantee. The, the, we'll do a live video is a guaranteed to make anyone smile video. But a lot of people haven't seen it. Yeah, it's not bad. It makes you feel better when everything's going belly up. Right. All right. So on to our review of the week. How was your week? Have you uh, have you completed your big new project? It's done. I just <laughs> no got promoted. Uh, successful week. Uh, these, these are both unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why, Sean? <laughs> just seems um, just seems fast. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a good week. Um, I've been mainly focused on just how to um, basically build a easy abstraction away from Active Record. Um, so we, whenever you contact a database, uh, how do you ensure that? you're not accidentally leaking active record objects around the world, um, even though you're using active record to call for the data. Uh, so I have a nice little, uh, a nice little service uh, class that, that encapsulates some of that. It keeps uh, the errors in, in place uh, by wrapping it in a response object, which is pretty good. Um, I've done a bit of that in the past, but got some feedback and assistance from my colleague John Nunemaker who's been pretty great in this process and so hope hopefully I can sort of write up maybe a blog post just around the pattern I sort of came came to uh, came to use because it's not not great if you want an ORM <laughs> but if your goal is to you know just get at data and not pass around uh, full featured relationship objects then it's 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 pretty good you could use it to call an API for example um, if you're calling an external API just to kind of separate and, and encapsulate the errors that could come up and everything else so uh, pretty good um, still sort of getting our feet uh, getting our uh, whatever our running well getting our feet beneath us I don't know some some analogy around uh, the you know a, gr a group of a group of people working together and and making making strides. I don't know. Maybe that was the the, the analogy I was looking for. Um, just getting going with a bunch of people can sometimes take a little bit longer, just because there's sometimes you know too too few things and too many people, and so that's been a little bit tricky um, since we started with a with a five five or six people. Uh, but well, so sometimes it's too many things and too few people, and sometimes it's too few things and too many people. <laughs> I think they they both can be problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, pretty good week overall. I have code. I, there's code involved, and so that's always a bonus. Yeah, it is good when you look at the end of the day and you're like, "Oh, I wrote code. That's good." Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's you know, it's uh, using patterns <laughs> that, that aren't like you know second grade left hand scissor patterns. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, good. All right. Well, I think we should kind of get right to our big topic this week. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about this? Yeah, let's let's. Uh... Let's break all convention and do it. Yeah. Well, we're recording in the morning again, and my day's kind of busy, so this may be a, a relatively shorter episode than usual. I hear the uh, birds in the background, by the way. It's a nice touch. Yeah, I don't even have the window open. It would be very bird-heavy. Uh, <laughs> Is it just like a bird sitting at your window yelling at you? <laughs> right. Well, it's funny you say that. So off to my right, there is a... Uh, a, a new nest with a bird I haven't identified yet, but it has like the loudest, most interesting call. And it only, uh, only will sing like, I don't know, three times a day. And there's like another bird, you know, it's partner or whatever. That's way across the pond that calls back. And, and I can hear that one kind of loud, which gives you an idea of just how loud the one outside my wow. window is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. While you were talking about your patterns, there was a little yellow bird that appeared, appeared outside the window that I was staring at. And I totally didn't listen to what you said. <laughs> 
it was it wasn't good but the bird the bird sounded delightful it was very pretty yeah a pair of uh blue herons have been great blue herons have been uh outside the last few days wow one is kind of normal but a pair is kind of interesting so hmm. pretty into that and in case you wondered the only difference i can tell between the male and the female is the color of the neck otherwise they seem identical maybe one slightly bigger than the other but i think the yeah male i mean there's has... a couple other differences but we'll save that for another podcast yeah i see you don't even have to refer to your bird book just instant <laughs> nope. recall nope <laughs> i see uh okay so uh let's uh let's handle our one sponsor for the day and then we'll get to our main topic uh, are you thinking about becoming a software developer uh, i am <laughs> you, <laughs> that's good tell me uh, more well, you should check out our first sponsor uh, today, Dev Bootcamp, the original short-term immersive software development program that transforms those new to coding into job-ready, full-stack web developers. You can learn front- and back-end web development, teamwork, and leadership skills in a rigorous and inclusive environment. Dev Bootcamp has several locations around the country and is accepting applications right now. You can visit devbootcamp.com ruby to learn more, they have uh, around 2,000 graduates now from the pro program from all around the country. Um, they have nine weeks of remote part-time, then nine weeks of on-site full-time, plus one week career prep as their the basic structure of the program. Um, as I said, there are a handful, maybe two handfuls now of locations that you can go to for your on-site full-time uh, experience. And again, the whole process is about 19 weeks. So go to uh, devbootcamp.com slash ruby to learn more. Thanks to Dev Bootcamp for sponsoring the show. All right. To our main topic. So this is a topic that we, is the first time we ever really like, agreed 10 days before the fact to what our topic was going to be. And it got to this morning and I said, hey, Kyle, what are we talking about today? We figured that out. And you're like, yeah, stupid. This is the one time we actually figured it out. So yeah. uh, let's get to it. Back, I don't know, maybe two or three episodes ago, we, we talked about um, uh, a choice that I had to make, which is I had two projects that were similar. They're both recruiting automation-centric, but they're, they weren't the same. Different situations, kind of different types of recruiting, different um, commercial situations, etc. cetera. And, and, the, and the discussion was, is it better to um, sort of build a shared platform or is it better just to use the... Um, the experience from building the one to build the other and, and uh, you know, not tie them at the hip. And I think that what we decided, or I decided, and you agreed, was that uh, often, maybe most of the time, it's better to just have them be separate and share things, either through patterns or libraries, but, you know, don't try to adopt some sort of abstraction that's going to kick you in the butt because it's not perfect for either. Is that your recollection? Yes. Okay, good. We're going to go with that. So uh, I've got an update on that. It's the topic for today, which is I uh, now have the first project in production and like doing work, working basically as expected, um, which is good. And the second one now has started, uh, but I have decided uh, to make a different choice than the uh, the one that we discussed, you know, three episodes ago. And it's not one of the two choices that we outlined. Dun dun dun. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Uh, after the building the first one, I said, geez, this is kind of like a, a process that I think is pretty, you know, generalizable. And then the second one, uh, while quite different, it felt like it was the making of a, of a 
bigger business than just that one situation, both because that, that, um, the company that I'm working with started to want to use it for other types of recruiting. So the, you know, in the first place it was for, um, a, a type of driver. And then they had, I don't know, five other classes of, of employee that they were interested in also sort of moving the recruiting of to the platform. And then all of a sudden I had this problem, which is if I'm going to support those six different situations, then like supporting six is basically the same as supporting N, right? Because they're from different divisions of the company. Mm -hmm. They have different requirements. They have uh, um, slightly different onboarding processes, different interviewing situations, different advertising needs. Uh, and I think it makes sense to, to support that for them. But then if I was going to do that, I might as well you know, take a step back and say, geez, should we, you know, take a crack at building this as like a multi-tenant shared platform? So that, that, that I'm on the precipice of that decision right now. Ah, so you haven't actually made a move to do this yet? I'm like, like this week making the move. Okay. So, and I think this is the interesting bit. So yesterday I'm, I'm uh, partnering with a team member on the architecture so it's, it's basically me and, and uh, him working through kind of how we will, how, how we're going to go about designing a solution to the generic problem. And holy cow, is it a lot more mental work to try to do that yeah. than it is to try to just like nail their, their, um, their particular situation. So I thought that, that that's sort of like a good topic for the day, uh, which is like, what's that about? You know, how... How much extra work do I think it is to to pull off? What are the architectural breaks that happen when you go to this sort of strategy, etc.? So, have you gone through that where you've where you've tried to, you know, you know, take a an application that would have been for a relatively sort of narrow scope and said, okay, let's make a multi-tenant shared generic platform out of it? Um, nothing at scale. Um, you know, so I have done that in the past. I mean. Um, one of the, like the first startup I really joined was originally a consumer facing application. Um, and then it pivoted to be a multi-tenant software as a service application. Um, and so, yeah, we did, we did multi-tenantize that. And I didn't really think that it was that difficult ultimately, but I do think the, the sort of question is more around, um, going multi-tenant from a single source isn't bad. It's, it's more how, different each of those tenants need to be able to be you mm -hmm. know um and so in this application there was a a, a whitelist uh, um, a white label component you know basically the idea that you can make the software feel a lot more like your software instead of um, just something generic and so that added a bit of trouble to it but ultimately the logic the business the domain logic the business logic was all exactly the same right there was no real changes to that it was all just sort of yep we're gonna let you you know put lipstick on this thing but ultimately uh it's gonna stay exactly the same and so that's not that difficult but what my impression is with your project is that the business logic will change between each tenant right yeah. um, th there'll be a system that ultimately figures out how to respond and deal with all that but yeah that's right and, and that's actually the source of a good bit of the complexity well and right. I ironically it ends up making the application if we do it right I think in some ways a bit more simple but the the consequence like how it's made simple and I'll talk about this in detail in a second uh, creates complexity elsewhere 
Mm-hmm. So w- the decision that we've, I think that we're going to make is to take all of the business logic that is client or requisite or job, you know, position specific, you know, again, cause it's recruiting automation. So the idea is the platform can basically a hundred percent do the job of a recruiter. Okay. So it's not a platform for a recruiter. It is a platform that is the recruiter, um, which is a whole other show for what it's worth. You know, the, the distinction between trying to make software that performs the job of a, of a class of job versus software that helps that job. Mm-hmm. Very different ideas. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so this is software that performs the job of the recruiter. And, and anyhow, so uh, there, like you said, there is quite a bit of um, uh, job and uh, hiring, you know, organization specific logic. So I think that where we're ending up is that we're taking all of that logic and we're moving it outside of the application into services. Okay. So basically that the, the, you know, the recruiting automation platform uh, has a number of hooks, like a, you know, web hooks. So it'll fire and say like, okay, now, you know, time for this, what's an example, like a, an onboarding hook. Like, okay, this uh, offer has been accepted and now it's time to onboard. So at that point, the application sends, uh, you know, a, a message out to whatever URL is configured or URL or maybe it's email. It notifies in some sort of way an external service that it's time to do the onboarding step. And it doesn't care what, ha- you know, what happens. It then provides an API that allows or API and interface, you know, on top of the API for the updates to happen that relate to the onboarding step. And then in the case of the, of the project that I'm talking about, most of the time my company would implement then the services that are dealing with the onboarding. So in like in this one situation, you know, the, the, the company needs to have like the employee record created in their HR system, which would happen via, you know, hooks into their API. They need to, you know, send some messages here and there, whatever. Those sorts of things. And so we'll write probably an AWS Lambda service. Ooh. Yeah, kind of like a simple lightweight thing that takes the request and then deals with like the basically calling out to a handful of systems. And then when it's done, report back that it's done. But that from the perspective of the sort of the core application, it won't have any of that logic inside of it. It'll just sort of manage the life cycle of the... uh, of the recruiting process and then call out, you know, when for all of the sort of business logic specific steps, mm-hmm. which is like good and bad, I think, and, you know, good in that it makes the, the core application actually quite straightforward, relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then says, okay, well, the application, you know, for any particular um, hiring situation, anything's possible. But of course, someone has to write it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if, you know, we can use... Uh, if the services that handle parts like advertising or interview scheduling or offer presentation or onboarding, you know, the kind of typical recruiting steps, like how much of that we can have like a reusable service and how much is just completely specific to the situation. Yeah. So I guess then, um, so it sounds like you're, you're kind of making two decisions. Like one, one is you have an application that's multi-tenanted that where the business logic changes. And so you have a sort of systems that can do that, but it also kind of sounds like you're going 
like more service oriented architecture regardless where you're having these multitude of services that can do a little task and you're going to use lambda to sort of stitch those up together in theory those two sort of decisions could be made independently you know i mean you could uh, I, uh not independently is the right word they're not they're not uh required to be done together you're kind of saying okay there's benefit to breaking it up into little pieces and so i can build a veneer on top of it um, that is specific to you know business A or business B, uh, even though all these little subsystems that are are consistent can can do what they need to do. But it, it, yeah. it seems like there's a, like a multitude of <laughs> a so multitude of things here. So I think that there there is a decision there, I and mean, I think that the reason that I'm leaning towards the um, the path that I described is, and, and to be clear, the alternative is even if we um, said we're gonna. Um, sort of support arbitrary business logic at various steps through, you know, services that you call, we still could have like built the core ones in, we could have built all of them for that matter yeah. into the core application and just have call itself. You know, so I mean, it could just be one big Rails app that that is from an architectural standpoint, you know, sending out webhooks basically to itself. And then we say, well, down the road, if we need to, you know, have someone else's, if someone wants to implement their own or whatever, we could move it outside. Or we thought that it made the the application itself a little kind of complicated to have this business logic for each customer embedded in it. Um, like like we could have we could have still kept it in that one application, even if we were going to uh, architect it as a sort of service oriented uh, um, architecture sort of solution. So I think that's one choice. Uh, it, but the reason that I think we're going to move those services outside is just to dog food it effectively. Gotcha. Okay. My sort of, because I don't think that it, there's a significant difference in either case, you, you know, we're going to have to, you know, uh, we're going to have to write the code that handles those events. And, you know, whether I, I guess that there, there's a difference then it could be in, you know, Ruby or, you know, JavaScript, or is it going to be Rails or not? Is it going to be one repo or not? I mean, so there are a bunch of trade-offs on those choices. But I think that my bias is to is to build it in a way that ensures that we're actually like pulling off that architecture successfully so that if, if you know, another company wanted to build on top of it, they could effectively. And we, we you know, we weren't just thinking that was true, but we since we had built it that way, it is true. Um, gotcha. And I think even to even to maybe even more of your point, I mean, I think we could have even punted on the webhook. We could have just said, hey, we're going to put the business logic into these little service objects. And maybe, you know, in the future, we could, instead of just using the service objects inside of the big Rails app, we could instead, you know, uh, delegate to some sort of webhook. So I mean, we could have done that too. Or we still could do that. Um, and I think those are all interesting choices. Like, it'll be interesting to see if I, re like, if we do go the path that sort of everything is webhooks and we try to put the business logic outside of the app to dog food things, if I'll regret it. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. <laughs> what's your, what's your prediction? Uh, I don't know that I have one. Uh, it's more that just like, you know, I like to think about projects in sort of degree of risk, you know, like how, like, uh, whenever you're sort of making a decision where you acknowledge there's like a known risk and then you build another thing on top of it that inherits that risk and adds more, you know, uh, like this is, this isn't inevitable in every project. So it's not unique to your situation or anything, but, um, my, my thought is, you know, the, 
as you keep going this as you keep going with this i'm wondering if it's sort of gonna um if the abstraction will will end up helping you the service will help you the way that you're gonna pull things out will end up helping you or if you're gonna find you know uh not being your own consumer to be as sort of helpful as you initially thought you know Uh, i don't really have a strong opinion either way i'm curious to be honest more than anything else because i think that um like i would like to go this way with a lot of projects now you know i i definitely see the i see the huge benefit on keeping things pretty tight tightly uh separated you know like just in its own little compartment uh, well i think that there's jamming everything together so i think that there's usually a, a bit of uh eye rolling when people think about or talk about this solution because uh, you know i think it can be seen as architecture astronauting a little bit to break things up into these services but here's my pitch for why that's not the case here um and i think it's it has to do with the class of application it is so if you're writing an application that is performing the job not assisting the job but it's like it's the worker so to speak yeah then it um that that ends up implying a bunch of things that you have to like deal with not implying it it means a bunch of things you have to deal with right away which is that that it will never be able to handle all situations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like almost by definition Right, like they like even if you automate ninety-seven uh, percent of cases, there the three percent is not small. Like that's a lot of cases still. Yep. So you kind of have to architect things such that you know things are asynchronous because like everything's asynchronous. Um, that could possibly that the application could possibly not handle. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's going to get to this step mm-hmm. and it's going to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing now, and then if it doesn't know how to do that thing. And it has to like have a you know have a person do the do the work, or it just has to sit in a queue until someone figures out how to automate it. You know, I think are the same ideas. Then you know, as soon as you do that, you have to deal with the sort of the problems of service of an async design and sort of a distributed system, uh, because like you're going to have work that hits a status, which is like I'm ready to work now. Someone you know work on me, and uh, when you're done, then let me know. And whether that's the application itself or a person, you kind of need to abstract away. Yeah. Because yeah. it, po- you know, I know that some decent percentage of the time, it, it's not going to be synchronous. Like that work has to be offloaded async. So it was, it's like a thing I've learned writing Ember code, which is if that's possible, that sometimes it's going to be asynchronous, just write it so that to the system, it's always asynchronous. Yeah, right. Always. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know, never get caught in the middle. And, you know, so as soon as this sort of like async, requirement sometimes issue leaks in then you just have to go async everything for all sorts of like i don't think you have an option um and you know i mean the good of that is i think it does enable all sorts of robust situations like kind of a um a uh, the the escalation based you know automate everything you can but fall back to a person strategy i've talked about before which i think is great um, but it means, man, you've got to deal with with async, <laughs> which is a huge thing. Yeah, but I feel like a- I'm with you on the whole like make everything async as is possible. <laughs> uh, it just gives you so much more flexibility down the road because you can always make it essentially sync later. But the opposite way is usually a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, I do find that interesting. Jumping back between um, JavaScript and Ember. You know, because most of my JavaScript now is an Ember, and uh, 
but but not all of it. So it could just be plain old JavaScript on the AWS stuff. Um, and Ruby and Rails is in in JavaScript. I've learned to make everything async, like you know promises everywhere. And in Ruby, it's just that's not how it goes unless you know you're using something like uh, Psychic everywhere to to put things in queues and make it async. Yeah. Um, and and that promises switch my, pro, uh, promise .rb, my brother. Tell me more. Uh, it's not actually going to solve any of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> but I but it sounded really good to say that aloud. <laughs> I was going to say this scene, this feels very not Ruby. So uh, you can actually check it out. So it is it is a promise implementation uh, in Ruby, right? Um, but it kind of depends on like your ability to actually have something that can do promises. Like you need to have like event machine, you know, or like you need to have something that can actually tick in the background. Uh, well, like Sidekick. I mean, that, that's why I said that before. Sidekick is very right. Well, like, Sidekick, I think Sidekick uses, is like this. Yeah, I mean, Sidekick uses Celluloid ultimately to do a very right. similar functionality, uh, which is another sort of asynchronous processing library-ish thing um but but ultimately is a a queuing system but either way i mean sidekick the benefit is that you have these like job objects that you're passing around and then you like obscure away the actual asynchronous processing portion of things you know like the actors and everything else Um, but if you want to get deep down into the actual nitty-gritty like within your application that's more like go get this thing that is pretty much consistently fast and then return back, you know? Uh, Like, you could do that through one of these uh, promise.rb or it lists a a bunch of other uh, promise libraries that do similar things with Event Machine or Cellular directly or whatever. But Sidekick's great because, generally speaking, you know, uh, most of the time you're not actual... Well, that's not true. But in most of my experience, I'm just want, I just want to put it on a queue and like manage workers and queues and you know depth and that kind of stuff. But I guess like if you're actually building like let's say like an Amazon.com homepage or something where you're like building every part of the page across like a multitude of services or something like that, uh, you know, putting it on a queue may not be the best uh, route. You know, right. like you, you need you need to have them quickly, but you need them to fail okay. Uh, that you know promises might be an okay thing to do with uh you know with a, a ruby library but it's you know you're kind of swimming upstream like a salmon right you know well, you know what happens you die at the end that's, that's the... <laughs> well that's true for all of us <laughs> uh well i mean that's the i mean there are many reasons to use promises on the client side but i mean the one you just gave is a common one which is that the page will have multiple components and you want them to kind of each you know uh, well, both execute concurrently and fail independently. Um, I mean, I could imagine in like JSON API resources and in other situations where you need to render a bunch of things, like in the case of JSON API resources, it needs to build up the response. And the 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 way that Ruby is, um, you know, sort of not. Uh, Async, you know, asynchronous and multi-threaded is, I think, a problem in that it's going to, like, a lot of the time is spent waiting for the database to return. Like, let's say to build up a response, you have to make five queries. So it, you know enough to make all five basically at the same time, but you have to do it kind of in sequence in mm-hmm. Ruby. I think promises could be used pretty nicely there where, you know, fetching the data that you need to do the... Um, serialization of the objects could be done you know uh, that way and then as each of those promises resolve with the data coming back from the database that you know in a in 
you know, the, the work continues to build up the response. But like you said, your, your wicket's swimming upstream. Yeah. Because that's just not how the language works. Yep. Anyhow. So I don't know if I'll regret it. Uh, I would love for you to, if you're up for it uh, in a future episode, we should, we should uh, chat about this again, but also maybe see if you can maybe put some uh, code examples somewhere, you know, just uh, even uh, just, I, I think, I think this sort of stuff behooves uh, looking at some, you know, examples of how things are connected in a format that audio isn't awesome for. Um, but I, I'd love to keep this conversation going because I think that a lot of projects hit this, you know, hit this point, uh, assuming they don't just jump to it from the get go and, and hate themselves. Um, yeah. And this one is jumping it to it from the get-go to kind of hate itself um <laughs> well i mean now, you did a little bit you know i mean like you you did you did you did follow the advice for a week or two or three you know yeah well and i mean it is if i had gone um if i had gone this route on the first project i would have i'm i'm positive i would have regretted it, it was too, it was it was too much one thing and i and i knew that Mm -hmm. This one, given that it's got like the six different job types and the mm, two or three different divisions, I think it gives like that footprint is has enough variety to it when you especially when you include the other project that, uh, you know, I think it should be enough to sort of, you know, uh, avoid having the abstraction be too tied to one particular kind of instance of the problem. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. We'll see. It has been interesting too. So the guy that I'm collaborating with, a guy on the architecture, and it's interesting to see how quickly the conversation becomes almost impenetrable. How's like that? I was, I was, I was reading through the Slack commentary, you know, because we we did most of the conversation between GitHub and Slack about um, various architecture choices yesterday, and uh, some other, you know, some other guys on the team were following along. It was just interesting to see when you go to, uh, you know, when you start dealing with the design of a, a multi-tenant, you know, asynced everything, service-oriented structure, that the barrier to entry on that conversation skyrockets. Like, like in other words, someone's ability to understand what the hell we're talking about goes down real, real quick. Mm -hmm. And frankly, some like we've got people in different stages of their development on the um, on the team and I think the ability for someone that's newer to programming or maybe just you know uh, doesn't have the skills you know, quite as broad of a skill set to contribute goes down pretty significantly in the architecture phase when you start to have to deal with these sorts of issues and I haven't like totally figured out what I think of that but I've noticed it yeah it's uh I think it's um Architecture is something difficult to hack knowledge like into. I mean, like coding, yeah. one of the cool things is you just sort of like throw sh spaghetti at the wall, <laughs> try to keep this a safer work. Uh, and, you know, kind of like be like, ah, eh, that didn't work. Let me redo this. And eh, that didn't work. And eh, this works, but it's gross. And, eh, you know, let me Google and see like the one place where there's an answer, you know, and that's like the Ruby docs or whatever. And so you do all that. And then you go, okay, is this thing doing like single responsibility is this thing doing whatever like as soon as you get to that point it starts to get fuzzier right because it's like based around opinions it's not empirical it's just like 
Yeah, but there's maybe. no Stack Overflow for it. Where you're no, like, well, no. you know, th- this got upvoted 137 times, and uh, you know, I can paste it in, and it seems to work. There's no, right. there's, there's no version of that. No, no way. And there's no real way to like. I, I mean, you can read books. Like, there's some good books around this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you kind of just have to agree on a couple of, um, like rules or goals or something you know in my opinion and just make sure the team understands that and then kind of be like you kind of have to trust me as we move forward but keep me honest that we're we're, we're meeting these objectives it's you interesting know? you say it that way because i think that's very much how this project is going so basically it's myself and another guy that are taking on the architecture and i think the agreement with the team is basically okay we're going to record it all so everyone can read through kind of how we got to, to the, these choices. Cause you know, I think it'd be, it could be, I think that's interesting back to your point about like, how do you, you know, what reference materials are there? Well, having, having kind of a detailed log of the entire conversation is nice, but, but to some extent, um, really all that matters is that out of this, we will publish a set of rules. Like this is how it, yeah. this is how this application is going to work. Yeah. And then everyone else, and back to your point, I think you don't have like, the barrier to entry, the kind of uh, requirement to get involved then, it goes way down again because you're like, well, can you read rules? Okay, you know, then just apply them. Um, and I think that that's okay. I think having those sort of different roles on the team where I think is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's it's fine, but I, I think it's, it's notable, you know, because it... I think one feels a little feels a little weird when part of the conversation can be quite difficult to have with a broader group, um, you know. And and I'm I'm just co- I'm, I'm cognizant of that, you know. Like I, I think denying that that's the case would be bad for the team if like we pretended that it it was the kind of conversation where we could have like a, a pretty big sit down about it and still make progress. I think that that'd be bad, but yeah. it also feels a little bit bad that it's that that way. Yeah, I mean, I, so we, so in some ways, uh, we we just did this with our team, right? Uh, we're you know we're trying to build an internal interface, and uh, not everyone has had some or any experience in that. And so, like you said, we start having a conversation; it becomes hard to contribute to if you don't have that information. And there's not a great way to do to give the context necessary, like we talked about last week. You know, some things it's easy to go look at this, look at this, look at this. This is some context. What do you think? But it's like architecture isn't usually something that simple uh you can kind of say like look there's this pattern here look there's this pattern here and then just like trust me (laughs) and so that's not awesome and so i was trying to focus the discussion around like what are some things that we can all understand as software developers that you can like get behind you know like uh and so you know we were sort of saying like the only way to read and write data will be through this interface like you, you, you might not know how we'll get there, but you, but you agree or disagree with the goal of where we're going, you know. Um, and so I found that uh, focusing it in that way gets the conversation moving, just so that the engineers, the developers working on the project can go, okay, you know what? Yeah, I agree with this sort of like truism we're we're aiming towards. Um, and as we go, I'll try to sort of beef up my understanding of why we're going that way while maybe a select few can only make those decisions at least at first. Well, that's a good rule of thumb. I think that maybe, maybe the way to make it all, you know, to make that process feel good, like you said, is to zoom out to the objective with the broader group, sort of make sure everyone knows what the goal is. Cause that should be, that should be pretty clear to anyone. And then yeah. the, 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 how right and like the the determination of how we'll reach those goals um 
you know, if that if if it's a subset of the total team that has the the um, background and you know capabilities um, currently to actually figure that out, that's okay, right? Like that, you know, like it it it, it doesn't stress out or it shouldn't stress out a programmer if they don't know how to design an icon. So why should it stress out, you know, uh, everyone for there to be a subset that handle the architecture? But it doesn't, but it, it does feel, I, I think you pointed it out and I definitely have been feeling that it does, it feels a little touchy to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think, do you think that the, the team members the, uh, in your group that had less experience on, on sort of API design, did like did they feel stress in their ability to contribute, or do you think not really as long as it was addressed the way that you said? Like, you know, what? How does it feel for the other members of the team? Um, I I think there's definitely stress. You know, I mean, I don't think that can go away. I, I think as humans uh, working on projects, we want to feel like we're contributing. You know, um, and not just sort of listening. Uh. And so I think there is stress, but I think there's some mitigation in sort of always ensuring that every team member knows where we're headed and agrees with the direction, even if they can't navigate themselves there, you know? Um, and then as we go along, I think it's important just to keep up with, okay, d do you feel like you have more context now with the context you've gained over the past week, the past two weeks, do you, w would you change something about how we're going to get there? Um, and just sort of keep up with that as we go. So, you know, adding a feedback, uh, like loop there is valuable, but yeah. I, I don't know that you're ever going to actually get everyone to go. Yeah, sure. L let's just go the way you're saying, uh, and, and feel, you know, comfortable or confident about it. So, what's your communication medium of choice for those sorts of uh, these sorts of like architecture um, decisions? Is it you know let's uh, have a have a web chat or an in person meeting or Slack or email or what? Um, I always almost always start with a text document because I find that it yeah. sort of scopes the conversation, and if people don't understand any a aspects of it, they can they can ask and we can sort of craft that document um, to be a little bit more clear. Like this is where we're headed. This is why. And then maybe this is how, you know, like that last part kind of being the last part that's necessary. Um, and then, and then doing a video chat or in-person chat, something that's high fidelity to, to kind of let people sort of pipe up a little bit or ask questions uh, that maybe the text document is too, uh, you know, pedantic to cover or whatever. Um, but, but I always start with a text document because otherwise I feel like if you try to get people in a room and go this is how we're going to architect something i feel like it's just like way too much uncertainty to have a useful conversation but that document can usually uh, you know scope the conversation down a fair bit to make it more valuable yeah i agree i think that like my favorite process would be three step sort of something written that's more formal to start things off and then a, a conversation about it which i kind of prefer chat just because I like that it's around and people can reread it and uh, reference it later or um, sort of observe from the sidelines. But sometimes, you know, voice chat's good too. Um, mm -hmm. And then come back to the document eventually. So sort of begins and ends with a document yeah. and then has the chit chat in between. But that I found if you start with the chit chat or end with the chit chat, it's not the right idea. Yeah, I agree. You're gonna, you know, not have the decision sort of codified accurately, or you're gonna have the conversation be unswaddled. Either, either are kind of not great. 
Yeah. Well, I'll continue to report back. I mean, this is a... I think that the the timeline for our whole effort on this platform, so we'll we'll have version one that's like up and running and working, um, like like that's recruiting one to two people a day um, in thirteen weeks from now. At least you know, knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> that's the plan, at least, okay. and we'll have something like halfway working uh, in maybe seven or eight from now. So I'll uh, I'll I'll provide some uh, I'll provide some updates along the way. I think I'm going to learn some things. I mean, I've built lots of applications now, but it, it feels like uh, anytime you go with a you know try to put it all together and then add a new twist architecturally, it ends up being quite the learning experience. Yeah, I'm excited to hear how it goes. Yeah. All right. Anything to uh, to promote? Not a thing. Still I'm, I'm still Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, still haven't released the uh, the new podcast. So I, I thought that I would have now for two weeks in a row, and I still have not. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that that'll be between now and next week. But look out for that if you are interested. Awesome. Happy birthday, Jamie. Oh, yeah. Well, Teresa doesn't listen to the show, but just in case you do, Teresa, happy birthday to you, too. <laughs> All right. If you want to follow me on uh, on the internet, I'm barely known. And I am Kay Daigle. All right. Until next time.